What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now, deputy editor at The Ringer, also the host of Group Chat. It is Justin Verrier. Verrier, how are you, man? It's been uh, not really eventful, huh, in the NBA world. Holy crap. I know. I'm still catching my breath. Uh, I'm pacing myself, though. So we, we had a flurry of the first two days, but today's been pretty quiet, actually. Yeah, I'm kind of thankful for that. So we got to start with Damian Lillard, right? Because this affects the entire league, and it could really affect the Celtics. As I'm frightened that he's going to end up with the Miami team that the Celtics couldn't beat last year when they didn't have Damian Lillard, right? So, I mean, you look at it, I guess it would be Hero, Lowry's contract, Jovic maybe, the kid they picked from UCLA, a couple of first-round picks. I just, I look at this, and I don't know if they should have enough to get this done. And you look across the league, there are a lot of other teams that could offer more, and this isn't a Bradley Beal situation, right? Like, he doesn't have a no-trade. And I, I don't understand the whole thing of, like, hey, the Blazers need to do right by... Damian Lillard. Well, he just made $42 million. He signed the extension. If if I'm the Blazers, I'm, I can't just like make that Miami deal, right? Like you would have to get a third team involved if you were going to trade him to Miami. That's just, it's not nearly enough. Like th- this is like old school. Like when, remember when uh, Chris Paul, that trade got nixed by David Stern all those years ago? Like this to me would be worse than that. You're, you're basically giving up nothing for Damian Lillard. Yeah, the Chris Paul one was interesting because I remember working at ESPN at the time and having to put up all of the like photoshops of Paul in the Lakers jersey and then immediately <laughs> having to take them down. Little did I know that that would basically be my future for the next, what, 10 to 15 years after the fact because things move so quickly. But yeah, I know the, the Dame chase is interesting. I think he clearly made the heat as his preference and sole preference known publicly via reporters for this reason, probably because they probably can't put together the best package. It really comes down to like the blue chip prospect. I think a lot of these teams are going to have on hand. And for Miami, that's hero who I have to say, I feel like has been diminished probably more than he probably deserves. I'm not the biggest hero fan. I don't think he's necessarily an all-star, but I still think he's a good player that would have made somewhat of a difference for the heat at the very least, maybe won one more game against the nuggets in the finals. Um, but I think that he pales in comparison to the guy in Philly who is Tyrese Maxey. Now you're hearing out of there like, Oh, they won't trade Maxey, yada, yada. I don't totally buy that. 
But if the Sixers can get in the mix and Dame can convince himself and the Blazers to open themselves up to Philly, I, I do wonder if that's the perfect marriage of package. And also like for Dame to pair with Embiid, a guy who desperately needs another sidekick after cycling through now what, like two or three of those guys. Um, that's the team I'm keeping my eye on because like you, I don't know if Miami makes the most sense on the board. Yeah, that would be bad for the Celtics too. Joel Embiid, a high pick and roll with Joel Embiid and Damian Lillard, that'd be pretty difficult for the Celtics to defend. And we'll have to see now like what, what would play out with that Harden situation too. But the other thing I was thinking about just in terms of Lillard, did you find the timing odd? Because it was like, okay, free agency starts, then all of a sudden on Saturday, we find out that he wants a trade. And just looking at it and like putting the pieces together, did he expect that they were going to be able to fix the team in the first day of free agency? And now like the Grant situation is weird for them. Like I really do wonder, would they have signed Grant to this contract if they knew Lillard was going to ask for the trade? Or did he really already ask for a trade maybe and that wasn't originally reported? It just seems like the timing of this whole situation was weird for them. Yeah, he didn't ask out after they finished in the lottery for the second straight year. He didn't ask out in the weeks and months of the NBA playoffs when presumably he was doing much, you know, he's pretty much giving every interview suggesting that he might be willing to go to Miami or Brooklyn or wherever. Right. Yeah. Uh, he, he didn't do it when they drafted Scoot Henderson number three, he did it immediately after they signed Jeremy Grant to what is going to be a pretty garish and uh, unattractive contract for a rebuilding team. I believe it was five years, uh, $160 million. I love Grant, but that's, that's a lot of money to give any player to, let alone a guy who's probably best suited to be a three or four in that Aaron Gordon mold uh, on any very, very good title contending team. And so it's almost like he set it up so Grant got paid and then he went out because he, all of the reporting suggests he was going to wait to see what they could do well, like he didn't even wait for them to see if they could trade Anthony Simons and picks for just another guy to add to Grant to whatever they have. And so, right. yeah, I was a little, I was a little perplexed by how it all happened. I think this was inevitable, but he just decided to push the button at the strangest time. All right, so let's say that Miami lands the plane and somehow they get him, even though it's a bad deal for them. Regular season last year, they were 25th in offensive rating. Lillard averaged 32 points a game. He hit 4.23s per game, which was second. The Blazers, Verrier, had a 120.3 offensive rating with him on the floor. The team wasn't good. It doesn't make sense. And that's via cleaning the glass. The differential was plus 11.2 points per 100, 99th percentile. So if they land Lillard, they become unequivocally the favorites in the East, right? With Butler and Bam, the run they just came off of. And by what we're looking at in this trade, they're not really... They made it to the finals. And I know you mentioned Hero. They made it to the finals basically without Hero. This team would be, on paper, the best team in the East, right? I think so. Uh, I mean, I loved Game Vincent. I love what he gave them in that playoff run, but he's certainly not Damian Lillard. Uh, <laughs> if, any, if anything, I mean, I think it was a godsend that they got the type of shooting uh, from three-point land from a guy like Vincent. Now you have ostensibly one of the best three-point shooters outside of Steph and certainly the type of guy who could provide the, the breathing room for a guy like Butler to not just be throwing himself into the lane and seeing a ton of bodies. I mean, how many times did we see late in the postseason, even against the Celtics? Butler just did not have the juice that he had earlier in the playoffs. I don't know if that's because of yep. the ankle. I don't know if that's just because teams realize that if you just kind of chop off the head of the snake, things are much tougher and much sludgier for that Miami offense. Well, now you're going to have a guy who's shooting from basically half court like everything just falls into place. It's the type of like scorer that Jimmy has, hasn't really played with in his career is the type of like go-to guy that like 
could, that Bam would uh, unlock maybe potentially a new version of him maybe in the pick and roll. So, and, is, and they have all these guys that they could just call up from two way and basically be like a, a, a quality rotation player. Like they can do all the stuff on the fringes that these top heavy teams cannot. And so, like, forget about the CBA restrictions and all that. They'll find a guy from, like, North yeah. Dakota State who's just jacking up 40% from three. And so, yeah, I have to say it's a, it's a beautiful combination, and they'd probably vault themselves to the top of the East, unfortunately for your Celtics. Yeah, it is infuriating because they'll, like, just find another guy like Gabe Vince, and all of a sudden he'll be, like, unreal. Or yeah. Martin or Max Struess, who had good games for them in the postseason as well and just got paid. Like, they always find a way to do it. So... I know Damian Lillard apparently doesn't want to play for the Celtics, but him and Tatum are buddies from their Team USA days. And KOC has an article up right now at the Ringer, and he basically put it as Rob Pritchard, Brogdon's contract, three firsts, and a swap. And I said earlier this offseason, I would trade Jalen for Damian Lillard if I was Brad (laughs) Stevens and the Celtics. I mean, obviously, that's not going to happen now, but... The Celtics, I feel like Tatum should be like Tatum is now like a guy in the league, right? He's a top 10 player. I, and if he's friends with Damian Lillard, I think Tatum should be recruiting him. And I think Brad should be calling Portland like crazy, like try to get involved in this and try to convince Lillard to come to Boston. Why not? Yeah, I, I do think guys have a way of getting where they want to go. Ultimately, Anthony Davis being the prime example of this. And so yeah. I would assume Lillard ends up in Miami. The difference is that the teams that ultimately swoop in have the type of packages that can just completely like nullify whatever sort of competition there would be in sort of the horse race trade package wars sort of thing. And I don't know if the Celtics necessarily have that unless they are going to get rid of Jalen. And if you extend him, then you can't trade him in the first place. And so I like the idea in theory, like, God, how awesome would it be just to have him handling the ball as opposed to watching Tatum and and Brown just dribble off their feet so many times in the playoffs like we saw. (laughs) But (laughs) <laughs> I, I just I think if he's going to go to a team other than Miami, it's going to be the type of team that can just barrel over the, the Blazers and make them forget about their allegiances and loyalty to Dame that like apparently right. mattered so much that they waited this long in the first place. Yeah, like they would need like a mass like a Rudy Gobert thing. Not, not that it's going to be that big, but something crazy yeah. like that for for him for them to send him somewhere that he doesn't want to go. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right on that. And I, I'm just. I'm trying to figure out a world where he doesn't play for the Miami Heat. Like, I just, I do not want him. On the, I'm, I'm going to hate cheering. Because I, I like him. I really like him as a player. And I'm going to hate cheering against him. And I'm going to hate that he's on the Heat. Because I already hate the Heat because they always beat the Celtics. But speaking of Jalen, you think this situation's kind of weird? Like, we see all these other guys getting their extensions. And I'm not, like, saying there's a problem. But it does seem weird that maybe they're waiting to take care of all their offseason stuff. And then they're going to take care of Jalen. Because... I just don't see Jalen being willing to play ball with all the trade rumors in the past couple of articles, right? He had the one with Logan where a couple of interesting comments. I just I don't see Jalen taking anything less. So I wonder like why this hasn't happened yet. I'm not like worried that they're not going to sign him or something, but it is kind of weird that they haven't got this done yet. Yeah, I guess the optimist POV would be maybe they're just figuring out all of their offseason moves and then they're going to take care of them. They want to know exactly what yeah. they're dealing with cap-wise just because of all the mechanisms that get taken away from you if you're going to overspend and add a supermax on top of that. The the It does bring in kind of some of the fears, though, you would have about a Jalen situation, right? It's that maybe they tried to nickel and dime him or even just pay him like a little bit less than the supermax, and then all of a sudden he's like, why are you guys doing this? I'm awesome, 
get me out of here. And so it does tap into that anxiety I think you would have about the situation. I'm not worried about it just yet, but I agree. Like you see a lot of these teams like the the Pacers, the Hornets just take care of their guys at the first possible moment. And at the very least, that doesn't matter to us as the fans, but it probably signals to the players themselves like you are our top priority. And clearly the Celtics haven't done that. But I would hope and and anticipate that like at the very least there had been some sort of like understanding that they would get to this eventually, right? Yeah, it's it's a really weird spot too for Jalen because he's clearly not the best player on the team and he's gonna get a supermax. I don't know, like a lot of second best players around the league that actually are on supermax contracts. I I wonder like if say things go south with Jalen after he gets the supermax after two years, maybe he doesn't want to be here anymore, something along those lines. Do you think Jalen's contract will be viewed as positive value? It's a great question. I think after you sign it, probably, right? Just because the cap is going to keep going up. And just the fact that you, I mean, it's going to be positive value, certainly for the Celtics, if only because they have him under contract as an asset. And right. like, if this does blow up in their face, at the very least, they'll be able to swing. I and mean, I think Jalen had shown last season, just considering how well he scored, how much he kind of buoyed the team when they needed to him late in the season. Like he is a top tier, all NBA caliber guy. I don't think that was a fluke that he made second team all NBA. And if anything, you could make the case to other teams if you were to trade him. Like he could be even better if you just allow him to be ostensibly a number one or be like the clear cut number two, where your your one just doesn't duplicate a lot of some of the things that Jalen brings. And so I have a hard time thinking that it's going to be poor value, especially considering like that player type just writ large it seems to be the most valuable i mean look at bruce brown right. who's smaller and, and can't play offense all that well uh he's making 20 something million dollars so i, I would i would think yeah. jalen's contract would be appropriate if not exorbitant okay so one of the celtics i guess not big free agents but free agent grant williams still hasn't signed with anybody yet there's reporting that charlotte's interested dallas remains interested which i'm hoping for dallas i mean we have kyrie irving Going back and forth with the boss already on Twitter after after he got his contract. <laughs> Kyrie's unbelievable, man. And I just I think that would be awesome for like a drama factor because Grant is obviously a big personality. He pisses he pisses guys off all the time. He'll probably piss off Kyrie and Luca. I do actually think it would be a good fit for Grant because you get those two guys at the ball. He can hit. We've seen him. He's an incredible shooter from the corner. I would like that fit because I think that's the most interesting story. Like I think Grant needs to be playing relevant basketball. I don't want him playing for Charlotte. Like I don't want to see him on a rebuilding situation. I, I like Dallas for Grant. I hope it happens. What do you think? Where do you think is the best fit for him? I think San Antonio has a boatload of cap space. And so mm. I'm quietly looking at them being like, are you going to do something? And and maybe they just go the Oklahoma City route, which is basically just take on every single bad contract and money in order to just build a, a you know a house worth of picks at this point i don't know what they're going to do with all these extra draft picks they're even acquiring in this offseason but god bless them I, I so san antonio is someone you have to look out for um but i agree like uh, he's he's a prime fit for a contender and he's one of the guys who i think you're seeing a lot of restricted free agents ultimately go back to their teams because they call it the restricted free agent boogeyman, right? Where like everyone's like, oh, where is this offer going to come from? Like they might be able to jack up the price on this team and that team. Austin Reeves, prime example, right? He could have been paid up to a hundred million, ends up going back to the Lakers for his lesser million as an arena provision, arenas provision restricted free agent because the offers just weren't out there. This Grant is a different story because I think the Porzingis trade basically suggested 
that they're ready to cut ties with them. Maybe like that, that seems like the writing is on the wall there. I don't know how many big men they could, they could pay at that level uh, with, with Rob and, and Porzingis and obviously Al Horford. And so maybe teams are more ready to give Grant the deal, but I don't know. I, I definitely want to see him in a contending situation because as you saw, saw like in the postseason when he gets in there, he's a gamer. Yeah, I, I really like Grant. I feel like they misused him last year. I, I still cannot comprehend why he was getting DNPs during the regular season. It made no sense to me. And then the fact that he wasn't in the rotation to start the Atlanta series and Hauser was, and then he wasn't in the rotation to start the Philly series. I just don't know why they kept messing around with the guy. I feel like he's a way better player than the way that they treated him last year. Like if you told me prior to last season, hey, one of the guys that's going to get DNPs next year from the rotation last year is Grant, I would have told you you're crazy. Like I thought he was going to have an even bigger role this year than he did last year. All right, so the Porzingis fit, uh, what did you make of it? Because I, I'm high on it. I know KOC had the great article about like the post-up numbers. He brings a different dimension. I mean, the one concern would be, will Joe allow him to take twos? I mean, that's kind of a no-no in this Celtics offense. But I really I really like the fit. I, I know there's some risk involved as it pertains to the injuries, but you, really, you didn't give up a lot to bring in. Porzingis, really, I, I like the move. I think that the Celtics needed some sort of change. I mean, obviously, you would have liked the first deal better where you're losing Brogdon and not losing Marcus Smart. That, to me, would have been a much better deal, which that whole situation is weird now with the Clippers. I, I don't know if that was because of the injury. Maybe it was because they got news of this like Harden thing. Maybe that's why they didn't pull the trigger on that right away, because it does seem weird that they just decided not to take Brogdon after we had heard they'd been interested in Brogdon for a while. But anyway... Just my overwhelming point about Porzingis is I think it was a necessary thing to sort of to sort of shift this roster around. Like they had too many guards, they need another way to score. So I really like it. Yeah, I like it on paper. Uh, ultimately, I think people probably default to their perception of Porzingis before last season. Last season was a career year for him. He was basically on the fringes of of All Star candidacy. I mean, he was better than Bradley Beal. He was clearly the Wizards' best player, I thought, on that team last season. And so maybe there is untapped potential there, and you have to give Brad credit for seeing that. Obviously, the injuries are concerned, and I do think it's kind of funny being like, "Well, they have three injury-prone bigs. Like one of them will be available, and hopefully two. And it's kind of like it doesn't really work <laughs> like that." Like, it's kind of like the coin flip thing. It's just like, maybe all of them will end up being injured and this will be even more of a disaster. But like you, you build the insurance that you probably didn't have in the postseason a year ago. You don't have to like fear that you have to turn to Luke Cornett, God forbid, in, in a high stakes situation. Um, it does like basically, as we mentioned, kind of force Grant out. And I thought that was a little weird to basically cut ties with him uh, with a young player, if, if only to just like retain the asset. My general concern is just like the head versus the heart sort of like trade off you're getting here. And I know that smart had probably run his course as like the emotional leader and totem of that team. And certainly maybe you're getting ahead of the inevitable decline. So you're passing off to Memphis, the worst years of smart, as opposed to getting the best years of them. But it's weird to me if, if we keep saying that the t one of the team's issues is just like weird, like chemistry, culture thing. You can't really put your fingers on getting rid of one of the guys left who could do that. And so, like, yeah, maybe it makes sense to put more of that on Joe and Tatum and Brown to be that, those guys. But maybe you're actually just flattening this thing out and making what was already a concern even worse. So I guess it's like I like the player. I worry about the fit and the culture that uh, like ripple effects that happen as a result of that. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I do wonder who sort of now takes on the leadership role. I think in some sense, like they did kind of have to move on from Smart just because, and I've said it before, he's like, he was the original guy, right, of like this rebuild in 2014. So it took him a while to realize, like, and I don't even know if he has, that he he's not Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. So I do think maybe, and maybe this has to be more Tatum's team. And I know he's not like that rah-rah type of guy, but maybe Tatum has to step up when it comes to that leadership role as well. And I do think part of last year with Missoula, I think he was afraid to bench Marcus at the end of games. Like, I think I think that was part of it. Like, Derek White's not going to complain, right? He's like the nicest guy in the world. Smart and Brogdon are much bigger personalities. So I do think it will help when it comes to that, because I still it was puzzled all season why Derek White wasn't closing games and Smart was all the time. It just didn't make sense to me. So maybe it will work out in terms of the leadership void. Maybe they can figure this situation out. All right, so let's get to the other trade requests. So James Harden apparently... He's upset with how Philly treated his free agency, according to mm. Sam Amick. So, which is interesting to me. So now he asked for a trade, but now he's taking a back seat because Lillard wants out. So Lillard goes in front of him there. And it's just really odd to me, like in terms of this is three trade requests in three years. He's, we know he's like a really odd guy, but we had all this stuff about Houston in the offseason or during the season. Remember, it was like Christmas Day. Woj is on ESPN saying that he may be going to back to Houston. Just it's been a really weird couple of years for Harden. And now I look at it like the Clippers. I don't really know what they could give. It's like Marcus Morris and Norman Powell's contract. But then you hear like Philly wants to keep to open up two max slots next season. So this Harden thing, it could go on for a while here, right? Like we may not see Harden move for quite some time. I, I mean, I think there's almost a possibility where he's just on that team angry because they can't get something back for him and they just let the contract expire. Yeah, I understood his decision to an extent because if the Rockets were no longer an option and, and it looks awful just to start with that they basically chose Fred Van Vliet over bringing him back to that team. So <laughs> it's it's already like a, a hit to your ego and just probably a, a reality check that you weren't expecting from the worst team potentially in the NBA, right? But now you're putting the, your fate in the hands of Daryl Morey. And as much as they have a relationship and bond built over like what a decade now of being together, it's like one of the, the closest but also strangest executive star player relationships that I can even think of. Um, Maury just takes his time with everything. He's going to bleed whatever team he wants to try. Like we saw this with the Ben Simmons fiasco. It took, what, half a season yeah. just for him to finally say yes to get off it in order to get Harden in the first place. So you're basically putting your future in the hands of a guy who, like, if he's not going to get a good offer for you, if the Clippers, for instance, the team that's widely expected to land Harden is basically like, here, just take these expiring contracts. You have to uh, figure this out now. He's going to be like, no. And so all of a sudden, this it could drag into the season and it's just making things worse and worse. And so it, it's such a strange trip that he's been on, as you mentioned, like all the teams, but... It just seems like he's simultaneously not accepting where he is in the league now. It's kind of the Russell Westbrook where like his his station and, and his perception is one place and his performance is another place. But then you look at it like regular season wise, he's pretty good as a regular season player, like basically a triple double, almost all star type of player. But then in the playoffs, yeah. he's awful and you can't really uh, count on him. And so it's just like, it's so strange to get your finger on him. And I guess this is an appropriately strange situation that he's forced himself into now. Yeah. The, this Philly situation has just been a mess. I mean, going back to doc gets fired and it feels like, wait, 
Did Harden have something to do with Doc getting fired? And now Harden, <laughs> Harden doesn't want to play for Philly anymore. It's just a strange situation. But I do wonder this going forward is, okay, if they if Harden, they end up trading him and they don't get much back in return and they don't get Damian Lillard, I do wonder if now Embiid becomes that next disgruntled superstar, right? Like, not that Damian Lillard's disgruntled. He just wants a chance to compete for a championship. But I wonder if Embiid's the next guy where it's like, hey, I've been here. I've been doing the process for all these years. It's not working out. But I mean, I guess they do have the advantage of opening up the cap space next year as well if he wants to recruit someone. But that could be an interesting dynamic going forward, too, if Embiid is the next guy to ask for a trade. Yeah, I think we're definitely on Embiid watch. And if you talk to people in the league, like I think there's been suspicions about that pretty much since I wouldn't I would maybe even go back as far as the when they traded for Harden, but certainly after mm. they flamed out of the playoffs this this postseason. I think a lot of it's just like anticipation and just like uh putting two things together where it's like, oh, this he's a CAA guy, like could the Knicks, for instance, and like maybe the Knicks are just like hypothetically throwing against the wall against people. Uh and and so people are are, are thinking about it in that way. But clearly he has a case for it, right? Guys have tr- have asked out for much worse situations. And so uh, I, I think that's definitely on the table. I think that's definitely the darkest timeline. It would be weird. And I don't see a clear fit for him anywhere just because he is this like, he, he basically becomes your offense, right? You really have to right. figure everything out around him. And I can't see a team like a contending team with the type of pieces, like basically like being willing to do that and having the, the complimentary players in order to do that. And so it, it would get dicey and it would be, really complex but yeah i think you're right i I think we're definitely like on the verges of Embiid watch if not officially on it just yet all right very before we let you go the malcolm brogdon situation has been as i alluded to earlier bizarre this offseason they basically have already traded him now they had to sort of patch that thing up and we'll see i mean the clippers again apparently called the celtics Uh, miraculously they feel good about his health now so do you think at the begin or prior to the season Brogdon is still a member of the Celtics, or do you think he's getting traded in the next couple of weeks here? I guess it depends on how many point guards that the Clippers need because they're they're getting <laughs> rid of Eric Gordon for money, and then they're potentially bringing on James Harden and Malcolm Brogdon. Like you could basically tell me they're they're after anyone at this point, and I would believe it. I would assume that trading smart signaled that they're going to keep him because they do need a, a third guard in the, in that situation. Um, and he was very good in the regular season. I mean, God, he won the sixth man of the year. Award, yeah. And so, he, so I, it is weird though, that you end up with like all of these players that have injury concerns. And so not only is, is the front court, like we mentioned, but like, you got to look out for Brogdon and all these guys. So like, there is a darkest timeline there where like, maybe a lot of these guys aren't available. And clearly the, the injury concerns are what reportedly scuttled the Brogdon deal in the first place. I would assume he comes back if only for need and the fact that like I don't see a clear fit for him. It seems like a lot of the teams like the Wizards have have exhausted a lot of their options and cap space on on other teams and like so at the very least maybe he's more of a deadline trade, but like I don't know, can you tell me, can can the Celtics afford to move off of him at this point considering their depth chart? I guess Peyton would be the the obvious like replacement if they did trade him. Yeah, I don't think they can. I thought like originally, actually, I had this conversation with Pino last week. I wanted them to go after Monty Morris, like get mm-hmm. him as like a backup point guard guy that doesn't turn the ball over at all. He ends up getting traded for just the second round pick. So I wish they had gotten him. But to your point, no, I mean, unless they're basically if you're trading Brogdon, you got to get a guard back in return. 
And is that guard going to be better than Brogdon? The likelihood of that happening is no, right? That's why the other the other trade makes sense because you were getting Porzingis, but you were still having Smart on the team. So I think right now they have to keep Brogdon. And I do wonder, I worry a little bit about Brogdon. Like, if he's back, he's going to play more minutes he, than he did last year. And we've seen with Brogdon, there is a real history there in terms of his injuries, like lower body stuff, feet, Achilles, all that different type of stuff that he's dealt with throughout his career. So that is my concern about Brogdon is just... The health, like he played 26 minutes a game. They managed him perfectly last year. That's why he was healthy the majority of the season. Yeah, and then he still got hurt later in the playoffs. And so yeah. I guess if, if you were to play devil's advocate there, like the optimist is saying like, well, he got hurt in the playoffs and he was a much better player than he showed late in the postseason when they, they probably needed to rely on him more. And they do have Pritchard so they can bring him along. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting situation where the Celtics just have all of these options, but like it, it, there are odds of them potentially not having a lot of them available. So um, I, I would still keep him and see what you can get from him. And at the very least, like worst case, trade him at the deadline. Yeah. All right. That is Justin Verrier, deputy editor at The Ringer, also host of Group Chat. Varia, thanks so much for joining us, man. I know it's a busy time. Hopefully things will mellow out a little bit here in the next 48 hours or so because things are coming in fast and furious. It's true. Thanks for having me. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Pike to join today. All right, I'm looking at some day baseball on the 4th of July, Sox and Rangers. Righty, Dane Dunning on the mound for the Rangers in that one. So how about Alex Verdugo, two bases, two total bases, and Yoshida for a hit in that one. It's those guys both clobber right-handed pitching. So don't miss your chance to stag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Pike. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there from Justin Verrier on the Celts. This offseason is crazy, not just for the Celtics, for the NBA in general. When we're talking about Harden and Lillard, it's just crazy. And it didn't feel like it was going to be this way entering the offseason every year. The NBA offseason <laughs> delivers, and it certainly has this year as well. I did want to get to the Patriots, though, because I'm starting to get relatively high on the Patriots. Like, not to the point where I'm saying, cue the duck, but it's like, I'm not that crazy. I just feel like if you go back to last season... All the vibes coming out of, at the time, training camp, but even prior to that, the vibes were bad, right, with the Patricia, Joe Judge thing. And remember, people were getting upset with the beat reporters that were reporting, this offense looks really bad. And then we saw it in the preseason, and it was really bad. And then it carried over to the regular season. But it seems like it's sort of the opposite right now with this team, where there's a lot of positivity and a lot of people are high on the Patriots. We had Mike Tannenbaum on last week. He thinks the Patriots are going to be really good. Steven Ruiz was on a couple of weeks ago. He told us he thinks they could have the number one defense in the entire NFL. So I do think that the Patriots, they're going to be much improved. And one of the things I'm looking at FanDuel, so for them to win exactly 10 games, it's plus 850. I'm kind of liking that. And I know the schedule is really difficult, but that's just worth it from a value perspective, that plus 850, plus 285 to make the postseason. That's a more realistic bet if you're looking at the Pats and you're high on the Patriots like I am. So one of the things I was looking at is... 
We've been so caught up in the DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes for obvious reasons. We should be, right? This would be a massive game changer if the Patriots actually are able to finish the deal and sign Hopkins, right? We'll see when that happens. I mean, it seems like this is just going to go on forever at this particular point in time. But I wanted to look at Mac Jones and sort of figure out where he could realistically rank in terms of quarterbacks in the AFC. Okay. And obviously, if you get DeAndre Hopkins, it certainly helps with that. But if you go back to last season... He was 26th in EPA per play for quarterbacks, and he was 14th in 2021. Okay, so he went from 14th to 26th. So I truly believe, even without Hopkins, just having Bill O'Brien there will seem more of a competent offense just by having Bill O'Brien and not by having Matt Patricia, right? And last season, if you go back to his rookie year, I should say, he was a competent quarterback. He had a relatively good season, especially for a rookie quarterback. And then last year, it was really bad. So I kind of want to figure out where Mac is going to rank this year in terms of the AFC. So this is the highest possibility in terms of realistic. I'm not saying like, hey, Mac's all of a sudden going to be better than Joe Burrow. I'm talking about realistically. How high could Mac rank in terms of the AFC quarterback hierarchy? Okay, so let's start in the AFC West. Can he be better than Russell Wilson? Yes. Russell Wilson, we know he has Sean Payton now, but he was god awful last year, right? The guy completed 60.5% of his passes. That was 32nd out of 40 qualifiers. His passer rating was 84.4, which was 29th. So, look, maybe he'll bounce back, Russell Wilson will, but he's going on 35. And remember, Russell Wilson is different than Drew Brees, right? Where Drew Brees' game, he aged relatively well because it was based on precision, right? When he was playing with Sean Payton, he gets the ball out quickly. And I know Sean Payton is an outstanding coach. I just don't think he's going to work magic with Russell Wilson because he's not that type of quarterback. Russell Wilson likes to extend the play. He likes to use his legs. And that's another concern is if you go back and watch some of the games from last year, or if you just remember back to seeing the Denver Broncos on red zone, he wasn't the same athlete. He wasn't the same guy from an athletic perspective. And I get that he's posting all these videos about himself and all that. I just feel like the aging process, it's a lot different for a guy like Russell Wilson than it is for a guy like Drew Brees. And we may have seen Russell Wilson, to use the Kellerman cliche, he may have already fallen off the cliff. So yes, Mac Jones can definitely be better than Russell Wilson. He was, and Mac was bad last year. He was still better than Russell Wilson. All right, how about Jimmy Garoppolo? So yes, he can be better than Jimmy G. And I know Jimmy Garoppolo's numbers always look good, right? But think about this, okay? This is kind of crazy. His expected completion percentage last season was 69.3%. That was the highest in the league. You know who was second? Brock Purdy at 69%. So what does that mean? The coach is drawing up very easy throws for the quarterback, right? We complained about it all the time last year with Mac Jones, right? He didn't have layups. They had layups. They have layups in their offense left and right. Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the ball out so quickly. Easy throws in between the numbers, right? And they have all those weapons. But so that just tells you he had a really easy job when he played last year. If you look at Derek Carr last season, okay, Derek Carr was at 62% in terms of his expected completion percentage. Remember, Jimmy Garoppolo, 69.3, first of the NFL, Derek Carr, 62%, that was 35th. So Jimmy goes from a guy in Kyle Shanahan that makes every quarterback that plays for him really good and really efficient to Josh McDaniels, whose quarterback last season was not great. And I'm not saying that Josh is an awful coach or anything along those lines. This is not a hot take. It just... If you look at the numbers with the quarterbacks that play for Kyle Shanahan, they're always juiced because of how good he is as an offensive mind and as a play caller. That is not the same 
with Josh McDaniels. Yeah, sure. They're going to look good when it's Tom Brady, but not every quarterback is successful with Josh McDaniels. You look at Carr last season, and maybe you just think Derek Carr sucks, and you're that's a fair opinion to have, right? I mean, that just may be the case. But if you look at Carr, lowest rating since his rookie year, lowest completion percentage since his rookie year, tied for the most picks in his career, and actually the percentage was higher because he played in less games. So Derek Carr at 31, last season with Josh McDaniels, not 37, 31, basically excluding his rookie season, had the worst year of his career with Josh McDaniels. So do we expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be the guy that we saw with the 49ers, or do we expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be something more similar to what we saw from Derek Carr last year? My bet, and we know he's banged up already, right? I mean, the whole contract situation is weird with him. I expect him to look more like Derek Carr than the version of himself we saw with Kyle Shanahan. So yes, he can be better. Matt can be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. So that's two right there. Justin Herbert. No, sorry. Okay. We're looking at a guy that threw for 294 yards per game, 278 yards per game last year, 294 the year before, I should say, over 5,000 total yards two years ago in terms of passing yardage. They now bring in Kellen Moore, who is a more competent offensive coordinator to work with. He's just a freak, right? I mean, he's 6'6", he's 236. He's just, we can all agree, he's just way more talented than Mac. Mac cannot be better than Justin Herbert. It's just, it's nothing against Mac. This, this is an exercise to find out where he can rank. He cannot be better than Justin Herbert. Okay, that brings me to Mahomes. <laughs> we don't need to get into that one. CJ Stroud, I guess, will be the starter in Houston. I know they still have a long neck there, Davis Mills, but okay, let's say it's Stroud or Mills, either one. It would be surprising if Mac wasn't better than those guys, especially considering it's not a great situation in Houston, not a lot of talent there. Then you look at Indy, Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew. Yes, obviously Mac can be better than a rookie or he already is better than Gardner Minshew. Tannehill in Tennessee, yes. Now, I know they have Will Levis there too, but again, a rookie situation. But with Tannehill, ever since Arthur Smith left to become the Atlanta Falcons head coach, he has not been the same player, right? He just has not been the same guy. Averaged just 211 yards per game last season. Not good. And the thing about him, like Arthur Smith, one of the biggest play action guys in the NFL. And what we found out is with Tannehill, he cannot function without play action. Like if you look at his numbers last season, his passer rating, 108.7 with play action, 89.6 without play action. Really bad. That's what a 20 point dip off, right? He's a system guy. And that system is no longer in Tennessee. The guy that ran the system, Arthur Smith, took the system to Atlanta, and Ryan Tannehill's left behind. He's not that good of a quarterback, right? So Mac can be better than Ryan Tannehill. Okay, let's go to Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. I know that Mac was better than Trevor Lawrence in their rookie seasons, but let's also not dismiss the fact that that was one of the worst situations we've seen in recent NFL history with Urban Meyer that just completely lost his mind, right? And what we saw when Doug Peterson came in he improved dramatically last season, did Trevor Lawrence, 241 yards per game. That's a team that got into the postseason. I get it, bad division, but he played really well. And I think with a good offensive mind in Doug Peterson, he's going to continue to get better. And if you look at him, remember, he's a massive guy, unlike Mac. He's 6'6", just a massive dude, ninth in EPA per play last season. If you look at it from week 10 on, he was fourth during that stretch. Mac was second to last. So he impacted winning. And I just look at Trevor Lawrence. There is a reason that we looked at Trevor Lawrence coming into the draft, really going back to his freshman year at Clemson, and everybody had the idea that, hey, this is the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. That's how high everybody was on Trevor Lawrence. So I certainly think he's obviously way more talented than Mac. I cannot imagine that Mac's going to have a better season than the one that Trevor Lawrence did last year, or even say Mac's better next season. It's not going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence. So I'm a no on Trevor Lawrence. 
All right, so let's go to the north. We'll go to the Browns with Deshaun Watson. Yes, he can be better than Watson. And look, maybe Watson, he can't be worse than last year. So you would expect him to be a little bit better. But a 79.1 rating, the only guys worse were Baker, Longneck Davis Mills, Kenny Pickett, Mike White, Joe Flacco, and Zach Wilson. Like that's the neighborhood that Deshaun Watson was residing in last year. He was atrocious. He was by the numbers worse than Carson Wentz. Okay, that's tough to do. And if you look at his time to throw last season, 3.27, that was the highest in the league. And that tells you he just wasn't seeing it well. Remember, he missed football for, what, more than a year. So that really hurt him. And so if this was Watson four years ago, I'd say no chance. He was one of the best quarterbacks at the NFL. But that version of Deshaun Watson, am I expecting him to get back to the guy that he was pre-suspension or not even suspension, whatever the list he was on in the NFL, right? Like the commissioner's list or whatever. But my point with this is I could see Deshaun Watson being better, but not getting close to the guy he was before. So yes, Mac Jones is better than Deshaun Watson last season. He can certainly be better than him again next year. And Mac wasn't good last year. He's still better than Watson. Okay. Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh. Yes, Mac could be better. I see Pickett as diet Mac. He's not as good as Mac and he plays the game in a very similar way. You look at his numbers last season. God awful. 184 yards per game, 76.7 rating, seven touchdowns to nine interceptions. And I know we talk about Max ceiling a lot. Pickett's got a really low ceiling. The guy's not going to get much better. He just, he's not super talented, does not have a big arm whatsoever. Actually, I remember when he got measured at the combine, that was like super small hands. Just There's not a lot of talent there with Kenny Pickett. So I'll say definitely yes on that one. Lamar Jackson, no. So Lamar Jackson, when he played last year, the Ravens were 8-4, 63 rushing yards per game, too. We saw him come into Foxborough and destroy the Patriots. Remember, a couple of months ago, I did a pod I wanted Lamar. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. He basically makes you a top three running team in the NFL every year. So no, Matt cannot be Lamar Jackson just because of everything that Lamar Jackson brings to the table in the run game. They got him some receivers now, the Odell Beckham Juniors of the world. So I'd expect him to have one of his best seasons and maybe be in the hunt this year for the MVP. Like, of course, we saw him win it in 2019. All right, the Bengals, Joe Burrow. No, Burrow's now in the elite class. 35 touchdowns. 12 interceptions last season, 279 yards a game. The guy is special. He, he's incredible. I love sort of his moxie too. Like that guy, he, he is not scared of anything. I love his attitude. All right, the Jets with Aaron Rodgers as we get into the Patriots division. This one may surprise you. I'm going to say, yes, there is a chance that Mac Jones, Mac Jones could be better than Aaron Rodgers next season. And look, this is kind of a caveat thing here. It's a really small chance because what... um projecting here the reason I say there's a chance is because what if Rodgers doesn't have the Tom Brady 2020 season that he had with the Bucs right where Brady's numbers had fallen off a little bit in 2019 and that's part of the reason that he didn't have this big robust market which you would expect for the greatest player in the history of the world right the greatest player in NFL history what if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get to that version of Tom Brady that what we saw last year carries over right because he was bad last season his completion percentage went from 68.9% down to 64.6. If you look at the rating, it went from 111 to 91.1. That's what, 20.8 in terms of the difference there. And this is sort of how it happens for quarterbacks, where you just start sucking. It's not like a gradual decline. That's why I point out the Russell Wilson thing. It usually doesn't happen where it's like gradual. Oh, he was a little bit worse this year, a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. No, you just kind of suck. That's how it has happened throughout the history of the NFL so you could see that with Rodgers. I also think, you know, they have a bad offensive line there. And I know they have talent at the receiver position and all that. But Nate Hackett, I don't know why. I guess that's part of the recruiting process of 
Aaron Rodgers, the guy was a horrible coach in Denver. I don't know why you'd want that guy in the building. So I don't think it's crazy to say there's a possibility that next season, Aaron Rodgers sucks, that he's just not the same guy anymore. Now, if you were saying, hey, Brian, you got to put like all the money in your FanDuel account on this, I would bet that he's going to be good. But there is a legit possibility that at 40 years old, he may just be done. All right, Josh. And by the way, as a side note, as a digression, how awesome would that be if Aaron, the Jets finally got their quarterback, right? And he just sucks. I, that would be un- incredible. I'd be so pumped if that was the case. All right. Josh Allen, obviously, no. 35 and 14 last year in terms of the touchdown interceptions. Now, there's some really weird stuff in Buffalo. This is like kind of the reason, like, you look at this Buffalo team, like, something's up with Stephon Diggs. It just something is weird there. It almost feels like they've had so many opportunities where they've been close to winning, right? Where they've been close to getting over the hump and winning these big playoff games, and it, they just don't deliver, right? So I look at the Bills right now and say, there's something funny with that team right now. I, I don't know. I'm not saying that the Bills are going to suck or anything like that, but I feel like there is a legit situation going on there where the vibes are not good with the Buffalo Bills right now. But nonetheless, Josh Allen, he's played an MVP level before. He was great last season. At points last season, he looked like the best quarterback in the NFL. So Mac cannot be better than Josh Allen. Okay, that brings me to Tua. And I'm saying yes. And I know the numbers for Tua were unreal last season, right? But, and I mentioned Lamar, like his injury stuff, the games that he missed, I feel like the absence was sort of extended because of the contract wasn't there yet, right? Like there was some really bad stuff going on there in Baltimore where he wanted the contract, et cetera. But with Tua, this guy legitimately contemplated retirement and he acknowledged it in the offseason, right? It just feels like when Tua plays, he's better than Mac. You can't argue that after last season. Tua was really good last year. But, and look, he's got a lot of help, the weapons, the play calling, all that different type of stuff, but that's not going away. But the one thing I'll say about Tua is the injury concerns are massive with him. That's why Matt can be better. Like, is it crazy to say Tua misses six, seven games? No, he misses games every year, right? I mean, he's small, diminutive in stature. I know he's been like working on like MMA stuff to try to like avoid big hits or something along those lines. But I'm betting against the durability of Tua because we see it each and every year. And look, obviously you feel horrible for the guy that he was dealing with the concussion situation last year. But all in all, I just look at him and said, I don't think that Tua is going to stay healthy. The history would tell us that he isn't going to stay healthy because this happens every year with Tua. All right. So we ran through the quarterback. So if you go by my list, there are six guys on there in the AFC that he cannot pass by my math, right? So the absolute highest that Mac Jones can get to next season would be the seventh best quarterback in the AFC. And This is if Watson still sucks, Russell Wilson doesn't bounce back, Aaron Rodgers doesn't bounce back, right? So seventh is the highest I could possibly see him getting to. But if Mac plays like the seventh or the eighth best quarterback in the AFC, that should be a legitimate playoff team, right? Because if you look at it last year, the Patriots were eight and nine. He was six and eight. He gets the loss in the Chicago game where he barely played. But the weird... Bears game, and you just look at it last year, like max numbers, 214 yards a game, 20th in the NFL, 84.8 passer rating, which was 26 in the NFL. So if you look at Mac last season, he played like a bottom 10 quarterback in the NFL, and the Patriots legitimately still had a chance. Now they were out the final couple of weeks, but during the season, they legit had a chance, right? You think about it, the Bengals game, the Ramondre situation there, then you think about the Raiders game, the one of the worst losses you will ever see, like they threw games away last year. And then sort of something that was under the hood, the special team stuff. I mean, when we were talking about punting on the pod, nobody talks about punting. We have to talk about punting because you are the two worst punters 
in the NFL. So the special teams is going to be competent this season because you've upgraded when it comes to the punting position, right? So when you look at all that stuff, right, where you had these ugly losses, you had the Patricia situation, and you had a bad punter, right? Like, it was just bad all around for the Patriots, and they still finish 8-9. I'm not saying this is like some big accomplishment, but if Mac Jones plays like the 7th to 8th best quarterback in the AFC, maybe the ninth best quarterback in the AFC, the defense we know is going to be really good. The special teams is going to be much improved. That should be a team that makes it into the playoffs, which is remarkable to think about it from that perspective, right? Where if you look at the Patriots last year, we're talking about how bad they were, and they were. I mean, some of the losses, they were mind-numbing. Even going back to the Thanksgiving game against Minnesota, but a game here and a game there, and you could have really had an opportunity. And now I'm looking at it, and this is me projecting that the quarterback improves. If he plays at the seventh best level in the AFC, the Patriots are a playoff team. All right, coming up next, I do want to get into the Bruins because it has been sort of a disappointing offseason for them so far. Welcome back into Off the Pike. All right, I do want to get into the Bees in just a second here as their offseason is well underway, but let's get to a call. That number is 617-396-7172. Brian, Joe from West Virginia. I got to just check in on the Marcus Smart deal. I really felt that it was time to make some sort of move and as much, and I do like Marcus Smart the way he plays the game. He's not afraid to mix it up, a little helper skelter here, there, and there. And he's pretty much the alpha on the team. But moving forward without him, I feel he got the right guy in Pazingas. And also now, I just feel like with Jason Tatum, you know, the most talented player on the team, would like to see him take over as the alpha on that team because they need a sort of an edge. I feel like sometimes the C's are like on cruise control. And you just got to be willing to have a little mix-it-up action, a little help of Skelter. So I'd like to see him have a little bit more of, of an edge, and I, I feel that should put them over on the over the top. And good luck to the Dallas Mavericks as they get to get Kyrie Irving for an entire season. Tough enough not even having him for a whole season. <laughs> Wait till they do get him for a whole season. And also, I just want to say, greatest country in the world, and I wish you a happy 4th of July, and it's the greatest podcast that I listen to in the sports world. All right, Brian, happy 4th. And, oh, by the way, I know you're the president of the Derek White fan club. If you can also do a dual role and become that for the Brian Fale fan club because it's great to watch him, and it seems like the Red Sox are on that treadmill to mediocrity. So, anyway, talk to you later. Bye. Joe, great stuff, and thank you so much for the kind words. Yeah, I'm all in on Brian Bale. The kid has been tremendous. He's The strikeouts are going up, too. We know about the ground ball rate, third in his last 11 starts. He's been absolutely phenomenal, and it's great to see a homegrown pitching prospect like him. By the way, speaking of Derek White, the Derek White fan club, do you notice he cut his hair? I like it. It looks a lot better than the haircut he used to have. It's kind of weird. Like, the hairline was kind of weird, so I like the new haircut for Derek White. All right, if you want to leave a voicemail, that number is 617-396-7172. Getting to... What Joe was talking about as it pertains to the alpha situation, I do think you kind of did need a changing of the leadership, so to speak, right? Where Smart did kind of feel like it was his team, right? And since he was here before Tatum and Brown, he kind of felt like he had ownership of it, right? Like he was, it was almost like a big three. That's, it feels like that's how Marcus Smart viewed things, right? It was Marcus, it was Jalen and Jason Tatum. It's like, no, it's not really that way. It's really a big two or really like, Jason Tatum, then it's Jalen Brown, and then you fit in somewhere after that, right? Like last year, Derek White was the third best player. You weren't the third best player on the team. You weren't the fourth best player on the team last year. You may not have been the fifth best player on the team last year, right? So I do think that is true, where now this can become 
Tatum and Jalen Brown's team. I do wonder, though, like Tatum's really not that type of leader, not fire anything along those lines. And that's not meant to be an indictment. He just doesn't have that type of personality that we see some of the leaders across the NBA have. But I do think, and I sort of hit on this a little bit with Pina, I think having a guy like Sam Cassell, who is an NBA champion and has been around the league forever as an assistant coach, I do think that is huge for them because he's sort of the guy that can light that fire under Jason Tatum, which I Cannot wait to watch Sam Cassell back with the Celtics. I know he's not playing, obviously, but it is going to be nice to have Cassell on the bench. And I, I can't wait till he's actually a head coach in the league, too, because he's going to have some epic sound bites. I love Cassell. I loved and Cassell was washed up when he got here. I loved watching Sam Cassell, just like the personality. I remember when I was growing up watching him when he was on Minnesota and he was on Houston. I mean, the guys, he was a very entertaining player, a very confident guy as well. All right. I did want to get to the Bruins, though, because we talked Thursday about losing Taylor Hall. And how the hope was that meant that you were going to bring back Tyler Bertuzzi. Well, now that's not the case, right? So Don Sweeney was asked if the door was closed on a Bertuzzi return. He said, quote, yeah, in all likelihood, yes. He said the term that he has rightfully probably earned, the AAV that he's seeking, what other teams in position to provide that we probably weren't, unless I made another big move. And again, he's going to land at a really good spot for him. Okay. Now we're recording on Sunday afternoon, so he may sign late Sunday night maybe early Monday, but as of right now, he's still a free agent. And as Don Sweeney said, he's going to go to a different team. So this is what I don't get about this. Why make the Hall trade, right? Because you look at this team and I get it, it's a money thing. But if you look at this team, you're still trying to win. It isn't like you could tear this thing down based on the picks you have, right? You you don't have any picks. You don't have a first, second, or a third next year. You don't have a second or a fourth in 2025. So this is a team right now, the way it's constructed, they're still trying to compete. Now, clearly, they're going to take a huge step back either way next season, but they're still trying to compete. So if you're not going to bring Bertuzzi back, why not just keep Taylor Hall? I would totally understand this if this was a rebuilding situation, the Bruins, right? But this isn't a rebuilding situation. You're not rebuilding. You're trying to make another run, even though making another run doesn't seem as possible as it did with last year's team. But you're trying to win games, right? You're not going into the basement and like to use the basketball cliche tanking. Now, I've told you I would have preferred Bertuzzi to Hall, but I would like to have Hall if we're not going to have Bertuzzi, at least have one of the guys, right? Like Hall was really good in the playoffs. We know about the five goals and we know about the eight points. But you look at the five on five numbers with Hall on the ice, six goals and just two against four high danger chances to one for the opponent. His speed was really big in that series, I felt like. So this is my whole aggravation with the offseason for the Bruins like I I told you I thought that meant that they were going to keep Bertuzzi they're not going to keep Bertuzzi so now you're just without Bertuzzi and Hall like there goes your depth right so unless you get a push from some of the young guys in the organization then James Van Riemsdyk is a a top six for you and look part of this is uh, it looks like now that Krejci and Bergeron are out of the equation but I mean you look at it what is it's Zaka Pasta, Marshan, the first line, the second line is going to be what? Coyle, DeBrus, Van Riemsdyk? Like, that's the second line? So, and it's just everything made sense last year. And I love Charlie Coyle. But what we found out last year about Coyle, he was in the perfect situation on that shutdown line, right? He's one of the best third line centers in the entire NHL. So now you have to bump him to the second line. He can do it. He's a good enough player. It's just you're taken away from a strength, right? Which was that shutdown line, that third line last year was so good. They took so many of their face-offs in their own zone. It allowed you to sort of rest Bergeron in games where he wasn't having to deal with all that stuff. And 
last year it just all made sense because Krejci was in the fold and now you're going to need more offense from Coyle when last year we found out a perfect role for him, right? And you think about it with Van Riemsdyk in your top six, he had 29 points in 61 games with Philly last year. And I get it, they wanted a net front presence. Don Sweeney echoed that. And this is a guy that, look, he's known for his work on the power play and he had two goals last year. And look, maybe he's going to be better because he's going to be playing with better players. I totally acknowledge all that. It just doesn't really do much for you. And it's it just aggravating sort of looking at this team right now. And it's great you bring back Luch. And this is something that I would have been excited about with Luchik's back, like, I don't know, three years ago. Not his 35-year-old season where he had just 19 points in 77 games last season. And I get it. He's not here to score. Luch is here to bring toughness to that fourth line. But man... It just, I can't really get too excited about bringing him back from the 2011 Stanley Cup team at this point in his career. It just, it doesn't move the needle for you whatsoever. Now, you did add Kevin Chattenkirk to the blue line. Chattenkirk, that's a fine move to add depth. But again, then you look at it, and we knew this was going to happen, but you see the reality of now, Dmitry Orlov is in Carolina. And now they have Slavin, they have Burns, and they have Orlov. Like, that team is stacked, right? And Chattenkirk will be fine, but Orlov was just, he was so good in Montgomery's system, right? Like, he was the perfect type of defenseman. It felt like this is the perfect trade for him because Jim Montgomery wants the defenseman involved in the rush, and he was tremendous when he came to that. He had 17 points in 23 games as the defenseman after he came over. He was awesome. So my biggest problem is just with the offseason, you should have one of Hall or Bertuzzi still on the team. And if you felt like the money was going to be too difficult with Bertuzzi, like you should have had a better idea about that. Entering free agency, I don't I don't understand. You can't justify taking Hall off the team if Bertuzzi is going to leave as well. It's just... Give your t team a better chance to compete, right? And look, I knew that there was going to be a lot of turnover. We all did based on the salary cap ramifications. But it's just a reminder of why losing last season was just a kick in the nuts, right? Because it's not like the Celtics where you feel like right now the window is open going forward. And I'm not saying there's no pressure on the Celtics, but just the age of your best player. It feels like that window for the Bruins just got shut. And they did the right thing. Like, I'm not saying they didn't do the right thing. Like, there's a reason they they can't do anything, right? Because they made all these trades. You traded away a first, a second, and a fifth as part of bringing in Hathaway, Lindholm, and Orlov. I'm, like, combining all these trades. Separate moves, obviously. But I'm just pointing out, you traded away a first, second, and a third in the Bertuzzi, Lindholm, Hathaway deals. Traded away a second and a fourth as part of the Hathaway, Bertuzzi deal. Like, you, all your draft picks went out, right? You went all in. And it was the right move to try to put you over the top getting in Bertuzzi when Hall was dealing with the injury, like it made total sense. And both those guys, Bertuzzi was outstanding for the Bruins during the playoff run. But it's just, it's, you look at it now and you're now in the spot where you're pretty good, right? Like this is a solid team, but you're not good. At least in my mind, you're not good enough to compete for the cup next season. And this team, they'll at least be entertaining. You have star power. Pasta is locked up and coming off his best season. McAvoy had a great year. Lynn Holmes here. Marshawn was still really good last year coming off the surgery. But it, it, so you're still going to be entertaining. The Bruins never really had to go full rebuild, right, with this core because Bergeron aged so well, Krejci aged so well, and Marshawn has aged pretty well. So it's just, it's interesting to look at these two winner teams, the Celtics and the Bruins, and sort of how they've stayed relevant for this long. Like going back to the cup year in 2011, you think about the Bruins. 12, they lost in the first round. 13, they make it to the Cup. The Blackhawks, the Tuca game, of course. Then you lose in the second round the next year. You miss the playoffs for two years in 14 and 15. But then you have this resurgence where you make the Cup run in 19. You lose to the Blues. But after that, you were the best team in the NHL prior to the COVID shutdown. And then you had the whole Tuca situation in the bubble. And then this past season, you set the record for the most points and the most wins in NHL history. 
So yeah, there were key picks like Pasta, like McAvoy, those guys becoming stars. But you sort of stayed the course with that core group of players, right? Like even going back to Chara, et cetera. And so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll find a way to compete and be relevant going forward. But if you look at their success, they were able to maintain it because their guys age so well. Like the Celtics, it's sort of the opposite, how they've maintained a very successful run here, right? So if you go to the Celtics, they win in 08, Garnett injury in 09, they were better in 09 than 08, they would have won the championship. They lose in the finals in 2010 to the Lakers. Then in 2012, you had the heat down three games to two. Remember that? And after that, you eventually lose to Carmelo and he was with the Knicks in 13. And that was sort of it. So then you make the huge trade Danny Ainge does and he gets all those draft picks back from Brooklyn because Brooklyn at the time had a new owner and they were desperate trying to win games. So you draft smart 14th. Then you make the Isaiah trade the next year. You win 48 games. And so you're a relevant team, right? Even though... At that time, I don't think any of us thought the Celtics, even though they were the one seed one of those years, I don't think any of us thought they could actually win a championship with Isaiah Thomas as the best player. And like, that was a scrappy team and all that. They were incredibly fun to watch. Isaiah Thomas, one of my favorite Celtics to watch of the past 15 years. I mean, really of my lifetime, quite frankly. The guy was so entertaining. But nonetheless, you get my point is even when they weren't going to win a championship, they were still an interesting brand of basketball. Not a lot of other organizations have that. And then, of course, Danny nails the picks. That's the big thing. He nails Tatum. And he nails Jalen Brown, 2016 Jalen and 2017 Tatum. And so I just think the way that the Celtics have done it, the way that they've maintained this run, it's way more rare than what the Bruins did, right? Because, I mean, we saw it with Chicago. Now, Chicago has just flamed out, but they did it for so long with Kane and Taves and that group of guys. We're seeing it right now with the Lightning, with that same core group of guys. We've seen this in the NHL before. We've seen this throughout sports. But what the Celtics have done, it's really, really unique, right? Because... If you look at that 08 stretch to now, the Celtics have one championship, two other trips to the finals. The Bruins, since 11, they won in 11. They made it to the Cup two other times, of course. So the levels of success are very similar. And as a fan, you feel like each team should have at least one more. I mean, for me, I would say 19 more for the Bruins than 13. I know you had that debacle with Tuca, but... In 19, you were the better team than the Blues. And from a Celtics perspective, they blew game seven against the Lakers. They should have won that one, right? So as a fan, you feel like they should each have two championships, right, in this window, so to speak. But the Bruins, they added guys, but the Celtics did it by completely overhauling their roster. So they nailed the Garnett trade, thanks to Kevin McHale, but then they nailed the two picks. So sure, they've missed out on some things, and the Kyrie situation didn't work. But think about how rare it is to see a team get back to the finals this quickly with a new group. Like, they played in the finals in 2010 with a totally different group. And they went back with the new guys, Tatum and Jalen Brown, right? They drafted those guys. The only other team that comes to mind is, like, the Heat, right? Because, like, Kobe and Shaq, they won those three championships together. Then Kobe gets back. He wins back-to-back in 09 and 2010, but they had Kobe, right? The Celtics didn't have anyone from that core group. Now, the Heat went from Shaq and Wade to the Heatles, but they still had Wade. But then they did go to Bam, Jimmy Butler, that group of guys, which that is pretty special what Miami's been able to do after the Heatles era, right? But they basically go from the Heatles to Jimmy Butler to Bam and that core. But it's we don't really often see this in the NBA. Like Duncan and San Antonio is there forever. All their championships are with Tim Duncan. Now, maybe they do it now after getting the best prospects since LeBron James, but you rarely see this in the NBA. Like the only other team that comes to mind is really that And maybe OKC does it because they have a million picks, maybe. But, I mean, Utah never really did anything. And OKC, I guess they made one finals with Durant, Harden, and that group. But the way that the Celtics have been able to stay relevant after losing those aging players, pretty remarkable. 
All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, hope is here, visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 